Hello and welcome. You're listening to Adventures in the Veil, an RPG discussion podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Ross. Sit back and relax by the fire, for there are tales to be told. Have that right out. Well, here we are again, the Cozy Crow Tavern. Welcome back. I'm Ross McClure, also known as Mythic Mountains RPG. Once again, I'm joined by my friend Jake. Hello, I'm Jake, as I usually am. Usually. Yep. I actually, the the chicken dumplings are really good. I, I recommend if you come in, you get the chicken dumplings. You're making me so hungry, but I don't have enough gold. I mean, maybe you just need to kill that troll they've been talking about. Don't judge me. So, trolls. Trolls. About those trolls. Yeah, about those trolls. What is a troll? That's what we're talking about tonight, right? (laughs) Yes. Why why trolls? Or anything. What, uh, why would you pick, uh, what you would pick? Where do you put it? Um, what are we even talking about? We're talking about monsters. Um. And is what is a monster? Is everything not a player character in the in the game a monster? What do, what do you do with them? What's the purpose of them? And yeah, so I, I guess that's that that's the first thing is uh, uh, what is a monster? Yeah, to me, a monster is best simplified by being nothing more than a question. So a monster can be a lot of things. It can be a, a philosophy. It can Some be a, Mr. A, stuff yeah, a lot of stuff. But, uh, okay, so I, I know it sounds it sounds really dumb, but it's actually a monster. A, a, a monster. <laughs> it sounds dumb, but I'm true. It's serious. Um, uh, uh, so the question could be, will the player characters survive? The question can be, are the player characters compassionate? The question can be, are they quick-witted? Are they reflexive? Uh, you know, like all these different questions. Whatever your question is, is, you know, like, I think that's what a monster is, right? Is Are, are they brave? If you're fighting a dragon, you have to be brave to fight a dragon, right? Or, are, you know, you, like if you're going to fight, like, the mustache-twirling elf king uh, who literally has a thrall of an army, like, at his side, maybe you have to be, like, just clever to, to defeat him. Like, you know, these. that's how I think of a monster is as I actually start the situation and the question that the monster poses okay that's that's really deep okay but um, let me pick it apart um, okay I'm good so let, let me read so I heard you say a monster is a question uh, but like a monster is a question about the characters or the adventure or both and so and the example you gave is that if the monster in question is a dragon, it is a question about courage. Because a dragon is like this primordial thing of fear and terror for which a hero must face. And that's like the archetype of the dragon. So if the monster is a dragon, then the, the hero slash character slash adventure, that's about 
facing something. It's about fear. And uh, Justin Alexander just came out with his book, right? Um, so you want to be a game master. In the beginning, he sort of has this presumption, like, you know what? Dungeons and Dragons. That's probably where you're starting, so let's talk there. And a lot of times when we talk about things, we're kind of assuming perhaps someone, they're coming from the internet, and they're wanting to get into tabletop RPGs, or they're starting with uh, like Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition, and they're looking at other other games. So, so we're talking about that. So why don't we kind of frame it in terms of Dungeons and Dragons, right? So in Dungeons and Dragons, last time we chatted, we talked about how do you even how do you prepare? What, what do you even do if you're a dungeon master? So uh, you're not going to get very you're, you're not going to go very far, especially when we gave the example of hey, you have some goblins in a cave. Uh, there's this presumption: oh, Dungeons and Dragons. There's the dragon in the dungeon, or in the example I gave, the goblins. So I think a, a starting point would be, what even is that? You know, to like, what, <laughs> what's that about? What, it, what is it? Why? Why would you have goblins in a cave? What, what, what are you, why are you putting a fictional character there? What, what's, it, what's its purpose? Yeah, I mean, that, that to me defines your game, right? That, to me, I always make the question fuel the encounter and like this this creature exists to ask this question and that question informs everything else about the encounter uh goblins to me are these things of chaos uh these little like uh, uh fungal people um and uh the things that they are the things that they care about are alien to humans and what humans care about uh, and, and they basically only worry about eating and uh, not being eaten. Um, and it's a very different mindset than what uh, people think about. Uh, even if uh, a human were stranded in the woods, I don't know if they would necessarily only think about eating and being worried about being eaten. Um, as humans think about all various of things almost at all times. Um, so to me, like a goblin is a very uh, primal example of like what does it look like when you basically give a woodland creature uh sentience and like what does it look like when the, when they have like this this uh ability to communicate clearly and and make some type of culture but also be goblins you know yeah but i mean in dungeons and dragons you could have all kinds of other elements right like you could have tricks traps treasure you could have puzzles riddles uh, you could have environmental hazards, um, but for some reason, like it, 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 it it's it's um, uh, a major part of this game is like personifying antagonism. Like there's there's going to be a personification of a of, a, of an opposition, uh, a question, and that's kind of cool. You're like. This personification, this living being, is going to ask you a question about yourself. Are you tough? Are you smart? Um, are you clever? You know, because, uh, so you said, like, goblins are like chaos. A lot of times goblins are an example of a creature that you have, like, a low-level adventure with, and um, they could be unpredictable, uh, but in the end, maybe violent. Like, the, you know, like... You'll come into violent contact with them, 
Uh, so you either have to evade them or fight them. But what if instead it's like pixies or uh, some sort of fairy creature? Um, uh, we just had an adventure where there were fethines. Like there were like these like little fairy people that had cricket bodies. And, um, uh, y you know, like that's not something when I immediately think about it that you're going to go in to just fight. That, that's gonna, there's going to be some kind of trickery. So the right. question then is like, you know, are you, are you clever? And it's going to ask the three questions of the Fae, like the, uh, the rule of etiquette, the rule of reciprocity. And, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a different type of question that it's going to pose, a challenge. But, but, so it sounds like a monster is a, uh, a, a personification, a, a living being that's going to present a question to the characters, uh, like a challenge. Yeah, but that challenge doesn't always have to be difficult. Like you said, goblins are usually this representation of a lower level threat, but you can go even lower, in my opinion. You can literally go and fight rats, uh, or you can literally have one farmer that's worried about weevils on a single plant in his orchard, and he just wants you to And go that says that something, plant. right? Like, like yeah. if you're fighting rats, then the the classic is if you're fighting rats, it's because you're kind of a it's kind, you're kind of a loser. Like, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, you're, you're like level one. You're right? in between like, employment options, all right? It's like uh, bards tell. It's like you know they're you're in the tavern. It's like, well, go on down there and fight the rats, because like you know, and you're gonna get some copper pennies or whatever. Although I've always I, I, before I even played bards tell, I thought about. Like, I think that may have been the first adventure in the Veil literally ever. It was, it was literally the session right before you played in it, was they went into a cellar, and there were magical rats, and they drank magic potions, and so then they, like, spawned all these these abilities and problems and stuff they had to deal with. But How do you find the right monster for your game? I suppose you answered that in that it should be the question that aligns with the adventure, the theme, or the characters. That could be an antagonist. It could be, you know, uh, the dragon goddess Tiamat, goddess of all chaos, or it could be Strahd. Or at a lower level, it could inform, hey, this is a rat, because it, at, at where you're at currently, a rat is a problem, uh, or a goblin or something like that. So it, it should say something about the adventure and the characters. Um, I will also say, so like two different levels, because I, I, I want to take this kind of a different direction if I can too, that I think you, you assume you're going you're gonna to put monsters in this. Um, and uh, it's going to stand in the way of something that the players want, whether that's treasure or information or, or whatever. And they may negotiate with that monster. They may fight it. However, they end up needing to deal with it. Um, I think there's like two different approaches. One approach is like, hey, you need to prep a game. And to that, I'd introduce the concept of everything is a bear. Which is to say, and this is sort of like an old school renaissance concept, that it's okay uh, in, in the modern RPG scene, they would call this reskinning. It's a, it's okay yeah. if you're prepping a game to just take a monster that fits uh, that level. So if you're starting with a bunch of characters at level one and just like put some goblins in a cave, and that is fine. 
and that that will and um, there's another saying I like you don't need to make it complicated the players will and a story right. will just start to spiral out of that uh, and once and last time we talked about like simplicity is elegance it's not something uh, it's not condescending to say hey just start with some goblins so that is a good thing to do on the other hand so on the the opposite approach um, and I see you do this all the time. Actually, you I, you do this better than anybody I know. Uh, I, I I don't know if this is just something like comes naturally for you, or if you like start with okay, I have a goblin. Uh, like it's like a Mr. Potato Head. Like every single monster is <laughs> yeah. like, you're a Mr. Potato Head. I'm about to get crazy with you. I don't know right. which. I don't know if you start with that, or if you if you just already at the this thing's crazy. I don't, I don't know how your mind works, but your monsters, Jake, are nuts. And um, that's something I strive for. So if you want a really interesting game, you say, how do you pick monsters for your game? Uh, there's a saying in Dungeon Crawl Classics, and I'll point out two games that do this mechanically and how. Uh, in Dungeon Crawl Classics, they say, make the monsters weird. And mm -hmm. so the example I gave in Dungeon Crawl Classics, they did a, uh, a level one adventure where they were traveling through a cursed forest trying to negotiate with a dryad for an ancient dryad's wood which could be used in a ritual but the grove is inhabited by an avatar of the god Yggdril the tree god and the mutant sap of Yggdril seeps out into the ground and it has infected a nearby tribe of orcs and the orcs are no longer just orcs but instead are like tree vine mutant orcs who have like tentacle right. vine, vines like that like come out of their body instead of arms. And of course that's really weird. That's like Dungeon Crawl Classics. But on the other hand, these are monsters. So they should right. be really weird and mythical. Um, and so Dungeon Crawl Classics has a chapter on how to make monsters weird and it gives you a bunch of tables. Um, and you could use that for any game. And also Shadow Dark stole that. And Shadow Dark does it very simply. Like, I think it does it on, like, one page. Yeah, using keywords, yeah. Yeah, and it's really great. Um, and, and there are a few games that, that do that, but I, I'll point out those two. So those are two approaches. Uh, what monster do I pick? One is, like, it's okay, everything's a bear, and that's fine. Especially on the fly. Just pick, one, pick a monster, call it something else, reskin it and base the armor class and hit points off what you need. Um, uh, the other approach is be really weird. And uh, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I would actually argue that those could be the same thing too. Um, if you have an idea about a monster and you have a question in mind like what this monster needs to represent and you don't have the time to generate stats that are equal or whatever, yeah, it's a bear, you're reskinning it. Um, I wouldn't say that things need to be weird per se, but need to be interesting or add to the question or add context to the story or add to the world itself i think one of my favorite examples that i did of this was um i think you might remember this game but we had to go investigate a distillery that was shut down and it was in the middle of this bog so like there's no communication to it so we had to go there um had this, the adventure party go to the bog and then along the way there was like this pin of these like these kelpie creatures yeah, uh, i love that and, and the task was to collect the, the Kelpies and put them back at their pen. 
and then the player characters will be rewarded with however much gold considering how many they caught. Um, the Kelpies themselves, I don't remember what stats I used, but the stats were kind of irrelevant. The, 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 the whole premise there was like, these Kelpies exist here, they're, they're a resource to the, the, the culture around them, uh, and like the question was, can they catch them in time? Like that, that was the simple question. It was a simple premise, uh, and it was a fun little mini game as like the intro to the adventure. And I think those those are like the best times. So, like you just have like this little thing as like this little taste before the adventure starts, and you can really make that adventure about anything. Uh, the the fact that they were kelpies just added to that story of them being in a bog and like all the seaweed and stuff. But you could reskin it. Using the same stats, you could make that like beehives. Like one of my favorite adventures in playing Skyrim Elder Scrolls V was you actually uh, have to go and burn all the apiaries for the honey brew mead. Like that was one of the funnest missions. It was like like these poor bees getting burned to death. But like that could have been the same mission of like, can you burn all these apiaries in time? So like th th you can use the same question and change the monster and well change the skin of the monster or the, the appearance of the monster, the the ethos of the monster. And it changes the context of the story, and it changes the feel and vibe of the story, and it changes the world around that monster. One of the my favorite campaigns of all time, and I'm actually I will I will reveal now my favorite RPG of all time, and that's the Hero's Journey Second Edition, which I, I think I'm I'm hoping to have James spawn on to talk about not just the Hero's Journey, but maybe some other things too. That's my favorite RPG, but it's also, we ran a campaign for about nine months. And almost the entire premise of the campaign, they were on this journey. Um, uh, I called it Dollar General Lord of the Rings because it was just like, <laughs> yeah, they just they like had a magic sword. It was evil. They had to take it to the evil place to get rid of the evil thing. But really what it was really about was the journey. And along the way... They had uh, mythical fairy tale situations like they found a wayfaring inn and a troll would uh, come by every night and attack it. And the inhabitants nearby would need to fend off the troll, sort of like Beowulf. And, uh, but as they investigated it and they went into the troll's cavern, they found uh, a waterlogged bookshelf which is a very odd thing to find in a troll's cave. And then, and then they found a tiny little bed, uh, which makes no sense for a big giant troll. And, uh, and these things kind of breadcrumbed into finally discovering that this troll uh, was trying to defend its fairy wife. And, uh, mm. and it had a, uh, a curse on it uh, thanks to a troll slayer, supposedly, who was the innkeeper. And the innkeeper had reported to the local lord that it had slain the troll when, it, when he had not. And uh, in truth, the, in this case, the, the troll was actually good. Like, it was a good person. And uh, they, they actually, right. like, came to... The, and what was even better is they came to reconcile the troll with the troll hunter. <laughs> and, yeah, right. and, like, the whole campaign was this subversion of fairy tale. Because uh, their original fairy tales, I, I got to read um, perhaps the first fairy tale to my daughter the other day. 
and uh, I loved it. However, I had a bit of a problem with it. Uh, I have a fairy tale book, and the first fairy tale I ever read to her was The Princess and the Frog. And I started reading from the book, and I decided I didn't like the book. Because in the book, it kind of dovetails into the story of the princess and the frog where you the the frog is a prince mm-hmm. but in the original story maybe somebody will say I'm wrong but this is my understanding the original story is a warning to women about beings of chaos that live in the in in, in the underworld uh, and many fairy tales are like that. They're they're very scary. <laughs> they're very scary, and uh, I like them. So that's like one approach. Uh, is like w- w- when you start with that archetypal mythical monster, it is a thing of of a child's nightmare. Uh, that's what I always say is mm-hmm. that a monster is when we were children. What were we afraid of under the bed, and what could it do? Uh, it's this really terrifying thing. Um, but then alternately, like you're saying, you can subvert, you can subvert that, which is what Tolkien did, right? Mm -hmm. Because, uh, elves and dwarves are not necessarily in, um, the Norse, uh, like the prose and poetic Edda, they're not, they're not necessarily good things. (laughs) Sometimes they're even malevolent and Tolkien subverted that and made them, sort of Christianized things like uh, like the elves were almost like descended from angels and uh, the dwarves were these noble beings uh, so you can do that you can take a monster and subvert it uh, and make it something else too and that's really cool yeah that kind of leads us into our next question which is what is a misconception about monsters to which I would say that they have to be lethal that they have to be bad uh, I think a, a good monster could be just as interesting as a bad monster. Uh, but what do you think? What is the biggest misconception you know about monsters? One of the biggest revelations for me was the 2D6 reaction role. Uh, when I came mm-hmm. into like learning what, what I think is the masterpiece of Dungeons & Dragons, which is basic and expert Dungeons & Dragons, that suddenly that one thing opened up an entire world that was not there in games before. Like I had to sort of imagine what a monster might do as a, as a modern dungeon master. And then like you, you, you start with this assumption that if it's a kobold, it's a threat. And we had those situations where uh, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good to like, suddenly be like all right well we're fighting kobolds and they're they're kind of weak and kind of they're kind of pathetic actually um but but you have this presumption where you're like well i you know that's the starting presumption of it and then maybe the dungeon master can kind of tweak that but in basic and expert D and older versions of D uh that was not the case at all and the assumption was actually that uh, you didn't really know what was going to happen. And in a way, I think that's much more mythical. Like, that is that kind of mythical monster that it could come out and ask for something. Or it could come out and give you something. Uh, Or it may negotiate. Um, The last monster in the wilderness uh, in my Monday game, uh, they always start at a sanctuary and they always have to travel to the dungeon. They know where it is, but otherwise they would have to even find it. They always have to travel through the wilderness. 
and um, they encountered some trolls who actually were terrified of them. Now, they didn't know that. They only know that they saw shambling figures in the woods that seemed to, like, dart away. And then they decided not to pursue, you know. But uh, it's a way more interesting living world, and you can accomplish that by rolling 2d6, and if it's two ones, they're coming to get you. Um, But that is not mathematically very likely. Uh, And if it's a 12... They're going to actually try to wave you down, and in their weird alien monster language, they're going to try to talk to you. And uh, they're, they're like yeah. going to bow in service to you because they've heard of your exploits, and for some reason this troll thinks it can be a knight. And that's also not very likely, but it's in the cards. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is, this is talking about a game where there's not a linear story. I think, I, I think if you're trying to have a linear story... Uh, a table like this could really, really dampen your, your mood. If you're like, ah, oh, they made it to this, uh, this evil, the evil assistance lair, uh, and then they literally roll a twelve and like, oh, he loves you for some reason. And then that, like, if a, a bad GM or a DM would say, oh, well, it doesn't. I don't. I'm gonna ignore the roll, and I'm gonna still make him super evil and still hate you guys. And he's gonna cast this spell because that's what he does. But a good GM is gonna be like, oh, why does he? Why does he love you? Like that—that that question fuels the whole encounter of what is going on here. What is, yeah. what is he into? What is he about? Like, why is this interest? I want us to do. I want us to do like guys? a whole talk just about like context and uh, what is it called? Uh, what's that thing in that book? Uh, apophonia. Oh yeah. I want to. I want to yeah. do just like a whole talk on that because I think that's the secret key to like being able to know what to do is to say so uh, to use basic and expert D&D again uh, it has an encounter procedure which the modern game did not have so in the encounter procedure of of basic and expert D&D it gives you the reaction so you could literally have a helpful monster now it's interesting to have a helpful monster, as you said, in an open context. Like you just have like an open situation and then you have a premise. Like you're, you know, usually I'm here to try to get the treasure. But it could also be I'm here to rescue the farmer's daughter or whatever. Uh, but, um, you know, in that situation, uh, you don't just have one type of monster. You have competing monsters that are fighting each other. Or, you know, you know, the trolls uh, have like a whole barricade where they're trying to deal with the devolved wizard golems that have been left over from the ages from whence this was a wizard's tower and has since collapsed. And, uh, but they know that there is food there, so every once in a while the trolls like try to raid in and get that. And so, you know, you have all this stuff like we talked about last time we talked, um, uh, this, these things you know about your world where you just naturally know about your world. Uh, Well, anyways, uh, in the procedure, you do your reaction roll. You also determine how far away it is, which is huge. And I never thought about that, but that's that's huge because uh, if you're in a 30-foot room and the monster's 60 feet away, that means that you hear it in another room or down a hallway. Right. Or maybe maybe it can only be appearing in a room with a bunch of other monsters. Which means suddenly, now all of a sudden you have all these context key- clues about why it's there, what's it, what's it doing. 
and that can be really interesting. Right. In that same example, though, like if it's 60 feet away in a 30-foot room, but you know the room adjacent to it is flooded, then you know that monster is already drowned. and he's Or dead. he's drowning so like, your gurgling noises or whatever. Or, but that's yeah, all very but, interesting, actually, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this is like immediately it tells you like something that you didn't think. It's like these the reaction rolls can just throw you a curveball and, and make it really interesting. They can also just tell you exactly what you expected to happen to which is fine because either way it's the players had no idea that that was you know what you intended and, and uh it can be uh really like enjoyable to be caught off guard by those i think um I, in addition to the reaction table uh shadow dark also has the activity table yeah. like not only not only what mood are they in but like what are they actually doing right now and one of the one of the entries is fleeing from a worse monster that's great so like in the generation of one monster now you have to stop and have an entire different monster like what else is down we had here? a snowball and one time where they were uh they started to fight a monster on horseback so they were much faster and the monsters fled and then i rolled another encounter where those monsters ran into another group of monsters and then those monsters fled and then they ran into another group of monsters until like these uh now it, it made sense, believe me, but, like, these heroes at this point were on horseback with, like, a bunch of mercenaries they'd hired, and they were basically, like, the the Rohirrim, and they were, like, charging across the field, and these monsters just kept snowballing into one another, and these monsters were enemies to one another, and now all of a sudden they're fleeing the heroes, um, and it was kind of goofy, but it was hilarious, you know, and I couldn't have, I, I didn't expect that, that was all something that just came out of those procedures. See, in my mind, when you said monsters, 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 all the monsters in that story were all goblins, and they're just riding horses through waves and waves of goblins. Like, just they're just piles, like dog piles of goblins everywhere. <laughs> at the drive yeah, um, I, I, I would, I'm going to be boring, and I'm going to say misconception about monsters. Uh, to, and it is something you mentioned. Um, mechanically, I, I'm just, maybe this is an opinion. High hit points are boring. Um, mm. but that's sort of, it depends on the game, but you know, we're talking about dungeons and dragons, uh, but this is poor monster design. The, the modern monsters are very, very, very poorly designed because, uh, modern characters can usually take multiple actions. Even if it's like a bonus action or a free action, uh, they have multiple mechanical actions they can take and comparable monsters do not have that. So what happens is monsters uh, i think about dragons like modern dragons uh not like the ones with legendary or lair actions but like a regular dragon um if it doesn't have a special movement feature sometimes you'll have a dragon that's just like a gigantic bag of hit points is what i call it like it's just like tons of hit points and what you end up with right. is what we call like surrounded pound which i had happen multiple times where you have a villain and they just surround it like a video game and just like hack it like it's World of Warcraft or something. And it's very uninteresting. Um, and uh, c compare that to when I discovered the basic and expert dragon. Uh, and it had the weirdest feature uh, where its dragon's breath was equivalent in damage automatically to its hit points. I was like, that is the weirdest and most gnarly thing. So, like, you could have this thing. First of all, you could hypothetically kill that dragon in, like, a couple of hits. So you could have this epic moment, which I've had happen, 
where a hero has a magic blade and they like, you know, leap through the air and they're able to slice through the dragon's throat and they do so much damage that like maybe the, you know, it's one of those scenes where the, the gouts of flame erupts from the wound instead of from the mouth and you can actually see right. the dragon weaken and then the hero comes back around and, um, you know, that is just the thing to keep the hero alive if it must endure a dragon's breath, and then they come back around, they're able to slay the dragon. Um, alternately, that first dragon's breath is bad. You know, so like it just feels very tense and epic, and it's very fast. Um, and anyways, any monster uh, is more interesting if it has an ability uh, or can do really scary damage, as opposed to just having a bunch of hit points. Adding hit points does not make an interesting monster. <laughs> that, that's right, that's a misconception. Oh, and what also is equally unfun is a monster with just a really high AC, because then they're just missing all the time. Like, if the monster's just hard to hit, that's not interesting. What I think is a good solution to that, if you want durability in a monster, but you don't want just a big bag of hit points, uh, is uh, Hank Ferdinand actually has a system he calls the Chunks system. Uh, which is simply that you must meet a threshold to damage the monster. All right, so say the, the monster actually only has like five hit points. Okay, the monster has five hit points, but to remove a single hit point, you must do ten damage in a single attack. Yeah, that's great. Or in a single round, uh, and and it's a very simple way to keep track of these larger numbers without having to actually get granular about it and just shove tokens around. You know, like uh, what is it that done? Professor Dungeon Master says it's like just pushing buttons around. Yeah. <laughs> like now you're just going to have all these buttons over here. Yeah, no one wants to be pushing buttons. Yeah, he, like, uh, he stole that uh, from uh, Warhammer Fantasy, probably. Uh, in Warhammer Fantasy, probably. you slide, basically, and you enter a category, and it's like, all right, you're not going to do anything unless you hit this threshold of, of damage. But then if you do this threshold of damage, you're going to, like, lob his leg off, or you're going to, like, you know, puncture an eye out or do something like that, you know, so... It's a very dynamic hit point system instead of static, like oof, 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 you know, like a character in World of Warcraft or something. Uh, I've also had, uh, and this might be a spoiler, but I've also had uh, a monster that had no hit points, and the only way to remove it was to please it in some way. Uh, That's I great. I had a ghost that that ghost was not going it's to leave. The ghost there was no way to defeat it. Clyde. No, Clyde, Clyde, he just wanted to pet it. Like, if you would have pet him, he would have left you alone. But, like, no, like, Clyde okay, never yeah, ghost got dogs what he are wanted. different than ghost people. But yeah. Such <laughs> cold-hearted people. Yeah, but, like, to me, you know, if you if your question cannot be solved with a sword or blade, then, then you know, don't even worry about hit points. I love that, actually. that That's fantastic. Next question. What is your favorite monster and or a memorable moment from a particular monster in a single game? So, this maybe is not my favorite monster, but this is an example of how a monster can be really scary, and uh, and how it can act in ways that are very unexpected. And we've dealt with this recently in a game I'm in, and, and this was a time I ran, I, I've complained in the past that the modern game is not very exciting, it's not very challenging, and, and things like that. However, I ran a fifth level adventure one time, they were fifth level, and several of them died, including my wife's character, and they were like turned to ash. And uh, in the modern game, 
a shadow. A shadow is like oh, half, yeah, it's like a a, something like one CR or half CR. And it's similar even in the original game, in original Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it's not, I think it maybe has three hit dice, which is, which is pretty scary. But what it does is it drains your strength, which is horrifying. And then I think if, uh, if you go to zero strength, you not only die, but you rise again as a shadow in like D3 days or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but I have had that come up. That monster, uh, first of all, I never just say a shadow appears. Never, ever. And I tr- and, right, and yeah. note, I try not to do that with any monster. So in my old school, like my original D&D uh, retro clone, Swords and Wizardry, the game I run on Mondays, um, if they have encountered a troll, it's a hulking, slouching thing with, with, with unusually long arms and claws that it drags along below its knees, and it looks like it's covered in moss. So they've, they've, yeah, never named the monster. That's yeah, they've, they've come to call them the Moss Men. And then... Uh, mm, that's even better than Troll. Yeah. I like that better than Troll. Uh, so, and they even say, that, oh, those are Moss Men. We see Moss Men or whatever. They like call them that. And then uh, they did that with um, Hobgoblins. Um, uh, hobgoblins were like these sort of semi-mutated... Uh, uh, their features were alien looking. They just weren't right. Uh, their skin pigmentation didn't line up with anything they had seen before. Uh, some of their features looked stretched and elongated. Their eyes looked alien. and But they always seemed to have weapons and armor. Always. And so uh, they came to call them the Chaos Men. Because like, oh, nice. yeah, because they would march in like formations and attack the villages and just slaughter people. And they were horribly evil. Uh, so they called them the Chaos Men, and they had this war against the Chaos Men. And uh, I would have called them the Muted Cuties, but that's Muted okay. Cuties. Yeah, they they were indeed not cute, as a matter of fact. But um, <laughs> that sounds like it. Yeah, and anyways, uh, shadows. So I never just say you you know there's a shadow. Instead, I would always I, I always anytime I present a shadow, anytime at all, uh, I always present the character in a situation doing something so like the last time a shadow appeared i had they were in a dungeon and imagine like if if you ever go caving or you're ever in a basement with the lights off and a door closed lights do really weird things like lights and shadows and it's suffocating it feels wrong literally your inner ear tells you hey i'm not supposed to be beneath the earth something's going wrong here uh, so, so right. you begin to like f- have this sense your proprioceptors start to kind of stand up and, you, and you're like, what's going on? Uh, so I play with that and I say, you know, because they said they were searching a wall. Okay. So I said, all right, you're searching along the wall. And meanwhile, you can f- see your shadow uh, behind you also searching the wall. The shape elongates his father, Bloombat, who's this other character. He walks behind you you can hear the clanking of the metal on his lantern uh, as he's walking behind you the shadow it uh, it moves as father bloombad moves all the shadows move around but suddenly while all the other shadows are moving yours collapses and becomes small and stands separate from the other shadows it puts its hands on its hips and wags its finger at you 
and you feel something claw into your flesh, you know, or something, whatever it is, Oof. whatever it yeah. is, like it's not just a shadow. Your shadow is doing something that it should not be doing right now, and it and it should make you right. really uncomfortable. Because <laughs> if your shadow yeah. does something like literally right now, like if my shadow did something like like started <laughs> moving and waving at me or something, I'd be like, I would flip this table over. <laughs> I think. Right. Yeah. Shadows. That's that's I, my I, that's I, one I, of my favorites, I guess. I, I somehow inherently knew that. No kidding. I, I like if I as I asked the question, I was like, "Hey, what what monster would you run forever, if you could run one monster and only one monster?" And immediately I thought of the encounter that whenever I first encountered a shadow in your game, we came across this caravan of uh, what looked like mercenaries that had all been slaughtered on the ground. And as we like approached, their shadows reached up from their corpses and began to attack us. And, and the feeling of like not not having to um, like not having to worry about your hit points because it's just your strength, and then realizing that your strength is your dump stat, and you actually have less <laughs> strength than you would have if you had hit points. Uh, and this feeling that they could actually take you down in one turn. Yeah. 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 Terrifying. Okay. Well, what's your favorite monster? Oh, that's so hard. Uh, it's funny as I tease you for not having an answer to this, but I don't think I had an answer picked out either. Uh, it's goblins. I, Come on. I mean, it's goblins. Uh, goblins are so good, but the thing is, is so I feel goblins. Goblins, uh, could be, goblins could be stagnant, though. I would say it's some goblin alternative. Uh, I think right now, uh, especially after tonight's game, I'm really high on bullywugs. Like these, just, these little amphibian things. I do, they're, those, they're those great. Are, those are where it's at. I, they're really yeah. great. I do like Bullywugs a lot. No, no, I'm thinking uh, of Kuatoa, actually, is the ones I'm thinking of. Ah, uh, Kuatoa. I, I, I use yeah. those little weirdos a lot. Like, they're so weird. But, yeah, Bullywugs, frogs in general. What are they called? Griggs? Or uh, the little the little frog uh, dudes? Griggs? No, that's Griggs are the, the worm things, the beaks. I don't remember what they're called. But yeah, definitely little amphibian things. Um, just this idea of like muddy creatures, just it's just great. like mud creatures. Like, you have moss creatures, I have mud creatures. We're I, no, I, I love it. Ah, that's such a good one too. I'm gonna steal it for my number two. We had a whole so Dungeon Crawl Classics. They have a, a god called uh, Bugbabils, and he's the uh, the frog god of swamps and snot and stuff like that. And uh, when you're a uh, all the necessities. Yes, the, the good, th the good things in life, as they say. And anyways, <laughs> if you're a cleric of bugbabils, you start to like turn into a frog and stuff. It's so good. And um, my players in the Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign, uh, I don't think they really cared about the ending, and neither did I. The ending was just like being goofy. It was like this headless chaos titan that was destroying the world and. Uh, by the time you're 10th level in Dungeon Crawl Classics, you're like flying around as a superhero and zapping things and stuff. And so they were doing that. And it was just being goofy. But the real high point, I think, for us was uh, the Croaking Thane, which is, a which is an adventure I recommend and also a very simple dungeon. It's a, it's a dungeon about frogs, man, about demon frogs and like, but don't do it if you don't like body horror. I'm talking like people listening. Like if, if you if you don't like body horror, don't check out the Croaking Fane. But if you like weird frogs, it's about like a weird. It's about two 
frog cults that are at war with each other. So my players called it uh, Toad War, Toad War Three. Well, that's what they ended up nice. calling the campaign. Yes, frogs. Gosh, frogs. frogs it's so good. good. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, lastly, I was going to ask you, what's a good tip for new DMs when writing monsters? What's a good tip for new dungeon masters on running monsters in a game? I mean, you said you want to use the procedures. Uh, if you don't have a monster prepared, you don't have stats readily available, anything can be a bear. You don't need to worry about it. Uh, I think, like, something that for me to keep in mind is is the morale check. Oh, yeah. Like morale check. And so, not all games have this, but most do. Uh, and the one game this became crucial in was when I ran Pirate Borg. Uh, the, the morale system in Pirate Borg is really great. Uh, but even like the most lethal monsters, they automatically pass morale right. checks and stuff like that. Uh, but the morale check is is often forgotten um, in in uh, modern games. If, as it becomes like the slaughter fest, and we kill every last goblin, you know, and and you wait till every last hit point is gone. But a morale check can just save you twenty minutes of doing that. <laughs> you know, it could if if the, if the conflict is already resolved and it's just a matter of hit points, then then go ahead and resolve the conflict. But what happens if even before the conflict's resolved, all of a sudden they fail a morale check and start to retreat? You know, what does that look like? Are they retreating because they have traps down that hallway? You know, what is this? What, it, 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 again, it, it reinforms the the premise. It reinforms the question that, that the whole encounter, uh, and it really uh, tells a story, and it, it tells a larger story about the world around it. And I forget to do it, so that's my tip to, to new DMs: is don't forget about morale. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good one. That, Okay, I've, I've got one here. Um, this is especially as I, like, so I've talked to Jim Parkin recently, and we talked about the Free Creek Spill Renaissance and sort of like being a little more open-ended in how you approach games, focusing more on choices and actions and the exchange of information. Communication is agency. Agency is the game. Constantly communicating things that are going on if something seems unclear, don't bury the lead. Make it clear. Uh, if they look confused, if something's ambiguous, pull things down and make it just a series of choices. You can do A or B. You know, like communication, communication, communication. And along those lines, while I was running uh, old school Renaissance games for about the first year, I had about a 40% casualty rate. And I mean per session. And that is because uh, the players did this where they would run into combat and I hit it with my sword. And I facilitated that. And I eventually got to a point, this was like a, a point where things really changed for me. Uh, in the basic, in old school essentials or basic and expert D&D, in the procedures at the top of the round it says declare spells. Uh, and I learned to call that Declare spells, actions, plans, hijinks, stunts, and schemes. And that's the most important thing. Like, never mind, you know, I move over here and I do this. And I, I've become increasingly disinterested in the I want to do this with my character. I'm much more interested in, like, what does the group want to do? And I find that much... And, right. I, and I, I mean that as a player. Like, as a player, I find it much more interesting to work with characters and do things. And isn't that true even in video games? 
isn't it more interesting to try to like stack things together with other people you're playing with than to just, all right, I'm just waiting on my turn. And isn't that one of the most boring things that we all knew about the modern game when we played it in the past where you're like, I'm just waiting over here to activate my abilities and do my cool thing. And for many right. people, they're just yeah. like zone out. Um, so instead of, and of course the real answer to that is certainly be a fan of the other characters. But another solution to that is like, what if from the get-go, it was actually about what is the group going to do? And as soon as I introduced that, there was a slime monster attacking a village in that very session. And instead of I run up and hit it with my sword, they, they began to experiment with what I've heard called tactical infinity. Which is to say, if you can think of it and it makes sense, you can do it. Mm -hmm. And um, so they're like, all right, I'm in a village. Is there like a wagon nearby? And I could like set it on fire and ram it into the slime. Yes, you can. There's a, there's a wagon over there. Right. It's got hay on it. Uh, one of you set, I'm going to say it's going to take two of your turns though. Like, all right, one of you sets it on fire. It takes one of your torches. All right, the other, you push it together. Bam, you slam it in there. Um, and um, the other thing about tactical infinity um is uh, diegesis. So if something would happen in the fiction, that's what would happen. Now this one's a little more spicy, I guess. But that's more important than hit points. That's like a secret I've learned. Now what I mean by that is not, um, not that hit points don't matter, but rather, uh, like, y you don't just change the hit points as a dial to be like, oh, well, I'm going to dial it up and make it more fun, or you know, I think it'd be more fun if I, like, dialed the hit points down. People aren't stupid. Like, that. I, I can tell if somebody's doing that. Right. Hit points are fun because they're a challenge. Because you know they're there, and, and it's challenging. It's threatening. So, to change it like that makes them meaningless. You should just not have hit points, if that's the case. Um, instead, diegesis works like this. If you can sneak up behind someone... And it's a human being. It's not a vampire lord or the undead or a demon or something. Um, if it's a human being and you can sneak up behind them and you can slit their throat, they just die. So, like, for example, we did that um, in Mutineer Zero uh, this week. Uh, Sean has a character who's like an assassin. And she cracked this big plot about how she was going to take down three people. Well, she did it, and like the necessary, the requisite roll occurred. So we didn't roll for like initiative. Well, you still have to roll for initiative. Well, you do this, you do that. No, no, it, it just happened, and like bam, you assassinated them, and that was way more satisfying because it was her making choices instead of like uh, you know being bound to that rule. I don't know if that makes any sense, but uh, to me, that's a thing on running monsters that I think I'm increasingly caring more about is um, they should be bound to the world um, not necessarily to just the rules whenever that the whenever that gets in the way yeah this is like a setting over system kind of situation I think that happens in 
all of my games uh, to a certain extent. And actually, I think this is one of the reasons I think uh, a lot of my games fail is is everything is set in world. So something as simple as talking to the wizard, you have to go through all this bureaucracy of talking to the crow familiar and then you have to go and talk to the, the gnome apprentice and you have to wait uh and all this uh diegesis that actually doesn't really help it but i mean i guess it it makes you have that same feeling of like i don't want to be here anymore like i hate waiting on this guy and, and uh I, I i'm in this situation of bureaucracy and it's very uncomfortable and like it's like waiting in line in the dmv and maybe that adds to it but it's also is not interesting so, so maybe that shouldn't be the case i had that problem in traveler um and i blame the adventure module in part there were a few things that were kind of you know that made it challenging but nonetheless uh there there's this adventure module and if people know traveler they probably know the one i'm talking about um, where basically you're just getting a starship out of a volcano. And the adventure module literally could have been that sentence. Uh, but, in, but instead, <laughs> there, yeah. are, there are about four or five pages of dealing with the local bureaucracy. After you land, it says you have to wait several hours while you try to go through customs and stuff. And I, I'm, I was flabbergasted. Like, I, I don't know. And I don't know why... Uh, I was loyal to that format, but I, I got into it, and then every, all of us realized we we're like, man, this uh, this is shoe leather. This actually, th th there's nothing actually <laughs> happening. Like there are no choices. There's nothing actually happening. Right. Um, but uh, a difference would be, I, I think a good a good delineation there is, are the players able to make choices, uh, and are yeah. those choices meaningful? So like. Uh, opposite example of that that happened in traveler recently that you know is not in the rules and it it sort of violates or overruled the combat rules because it made sense to me and i don't i don't care i was like this makes sense and um it they they were in they landed at a starport and they got caught up in a gun battle where some local militants were trying to assassinate a noble um, and uh, they got caught up in this, and they decided they were, they were going to be big damn heroes. Like, this was a moment where they were like, no, we're going to try to get involved. So they bring out their weapons. Weapons were allowed on that world. They start firing back. But one of the players is like, hey, back on that world where there was the volcano where I tried to get the ship out, I, um, I bought a fishnet. Um, can I throw this fishnet on him and just, like, make it to where it's harder for him to do stuff and i'm like yeah there's no rule in traveler for throwing a fishnet on someone and tangling them up in it right it and and honestly it just it's better to say if it makes sense at all either you should say no that doesn't make sense and then provide other options in my opinion or you should say yes and it just happens it just happens right <laughs> and and that's it, because that's if, the, if the, that's, a, the that's an option there, and a choice and he had a creative idea so uh if if it is an option it is a choice and it's a meaningful choice uh, and it is a creative idea you should just allow it to happen anyways all right i would just add to that that even if there was a procedure for net throwing and traveler if it's that well of a thought out plan and everything maybe it just still just happens that's uh, true too I, i've I've gone on this train of like, uh, I don't think, I don't think you need to have everything follow the rules of the game as far as like, 
procedures and as far as like actually like uh, roll to hit or anything like that. If, if you just like you said if you sneak up behind the human you just you got him like there's nothing they could do about it if, if you take the proper uh, protocols or uh, think about the world as it really is uh, and you come up with this you, you answer the question then you've answered the question you don't need to roll dice you don't need to uh, yeah, that, that kind of loops test, it back. Like system. if a monster poses a question and you answer that question, that that works, whatever that is. Yep. And that's uh, maybe departing a bit from the tactical grid of Dungeons & Dragons. Now, there are people of note uh, that enjoy either the classical style of play. They're a bit on the side of wargaming. And that is absolutely a valid gameplay style. And uh, I'm not criticizing it. Uh, but I am talking about a uh, maybe a more freeform uh, narrative, emergent narrative style of play, where that's the goal. Uh, so um, what I'm talking about does not satisfy maybe that war game approach. Okay, um, and but you know, setting the war gaming or classical style or even modern players because I think the modern edition is actually very good at war gaming uh, setting that aside you can exit the the paradigm of hit points uh, when it makes sense when it makes sense but don't arbitrarily do it like don't try to like like uh, create an illusion of hit points like oh well actually that just kills it and you change the hit point if you're changing the hit points on the spot you should just not have hit points because they don't mean anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and smart players can tell if they're fighting a monster. They can tell if you suddenly just dial down the hit points, like they're. Or dialed it up. Yeah. yeah like. That's it. Oh gosh, that's even die worse. In the first oh, hit, no. and then the last goblin is taking twelve hits, and you're like, why is this goblin not oh, dying geez. yet? Or it's like one of those video game modes where it's like. Well, this is actually my final form, and then it like, act, <laughs> like changes oh, in something. Now, if that's planned, that can be fun. That can actually be an interesting tactic. But uh, yeah, no monster dials, in my opinion, uh, at least not on the spot. Now, um, right? I I would I would uh, preface this with all the way up until the first like initiative is rolled that that monster stat is up for grabs you know what i mean like we said that because if something be in the world makes bear. sense yeah because the world is more right. important yeah if something's going on yeah it makes so sense. if it, you can you can take that bear and and say actually this is a centipede uh and it's going to have uh, this hard carapace on it that's hard to hit so instead of this ac we're gonna bump that ac a little bit or you know this this is actually like a a really slow creature, so I'm gonna lower that AC, or I'm gonna raise this, or whatever. All the way up until that initial point's been rolled, I feel like that is up for for grabs. But once the initial's been rolled, y you got what you got, and and I think staying true to it makes a more interesting game for everybody. Yeah. Um, it because that tension is built through combat and um, or conflict. It doesn't even have to be combat necessarily, I guess, but. Uh, like that tension is built over that encounter and then until the counter is resolved changing that at all is 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 not playing the game <laughs> it's it's you're, it's it's uh it's telling the story that you wanted right. to tell and not playing the game the yeah and, and to clarify because i think some people that listen to this they'll they'll also note like so there is also a school of design where you you don't you don't design encounters you design a world um and so um, yeah. If you have that approach where you're like, this place over here has a centipede in it, um, then yeah, of course, then 
the initiative then is not the benchmark for that. It's got a centipede over there, and you've already decided that. So you're, you, you know, you you're, you 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 be honest. But if you have a, a, an approach to adventures where um, that's that's not your approach, uh, then it it makes sense. Like um, to try to present an honest world as it comes up. So yeah, you you could say, well, this just doesn't make sense, uh, and and you change it. But once you're once you're actually hitting something. Uh, if you're just changing the hit points on the fly, especially to dial it up, that's like infamous. <laughs> but I think some people think it's okay to dial it down. And um, the only exception to that, I would say, is once again, diegesis. It's, it's what's happening in the fiction, where if like something takes some huge hit, or if it doesn't make any sense, sometimes a monster having some carryover hit points, doesn't. it just doesn't make any sense. I, I don't know if... Uh, so let's say you're in a combat, and... Uh, somebody um, does this big area of effect thing, and uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that it, sounds obvious. It takes out takes out thirteen Take, takes out thirteen skeletons, but leaves one. And it makes no point. sense, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and and it adds absolutely nothing whatsoever. It's just like blind loyalty then to that that math. Um, the uh, the world is the truth. Yeah. So whatever that fictional world is. Right. I mean, it's all about the type of game you want to play, though. That's right? true too. Uh, just because something, just because our personal opinion of what's interesting doesn't mean that's the right way to play. If you, if you like the tactical about, about it, and your table agrees that the fact that he has one, I think we're like talking about a certain kind of like game and gameplay right. style here. Yeah, certainly. Because I agree. Yeah, that 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 people that want a more tactical game, uh, and having that hanging skeleton where he's like. I made it, you know, and, and you're gonna you're gonna have like twelve <laughs> yeah. guys, and then he retreats and, and reports. On Actually, it. now yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's reading the world, and maybe that's what the world has to say about it. That maybe he makes it out of there. I don't know. But once again, thanks a lot, Jake. Talking about monsters and and hanging out and talking about tabletop role playing games. I appreciate you hanging out with me and chatting about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love it here at the Cozy Crow. Uh, I do hope that you uh, mustered the courage to go face that troll. Yeah. Uh, I think don't, you, I think don't you judge really me. use the coin. Don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Mythic Mountains RPG is a private online play club that focuses on folk RPGs. Folk RPGs are the games that belong to all of us. They're what actually happens at a table between friends. It's their voice that has the authority on what is fun and what works for them. Weekly, we upload our games to allow others to sit in with us. The channel isn't monetized. We don't own the artwork, music, software, or games shown in these actual plays, and you can find links to their authors in the description. Like, subscribe, and share if you wish, or don't. Just like games in person, you're welcome to pull up a chair, sit in, and watch some of our games. No performances, no fancy equipment, just regular people playing folk pencil and paper role-playing games, and having a good time. We hope these games will prove a source of enjoyment to anyone just wanting to listen in, anyone looking for examples of how actual groups run and play folk RPGs, and most importantly, if you haven't found your group yet, you're welcome here at ours.